You are listening to the Choose Your Struggle Podcast, a member of the Shameless Podcast Network. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that it's not the only thing I do. Choose Your Struggle is an entire brand. I speak, I coach and consult, I have rock bottom storytellers, there's a lot going on. And sometimes I get to a project and I go, man, I just, I can't do all of this myself. So I turn to Fiverr. It's so easy to find incredible professionals who can help me out. I've hired people to help with marketing, help with SEO, help with my website, so much great stuff all on Fiverr. I even found Kid Mental, who did the incredible theme song on Fiverr. So if you have a project that you need some help on, go check out Fiverr. Use the link in the show notes or my podcast website, and you'll help the podcast in the process. Check them out today. Choose your Hello and welcome to episode six of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. It's a special episode, the first of the season. This is a chat with John Loxley, who's the host of the Life in Recovery podcast. John and I connected, had a wonderful conversation, and originally the thought was we'd do an episode swap. It's already out on his podcast, but after listening to it, I said, you know, it doesn't really fit my podcast in a traditional form. I'm going to put it out as a special episode. John and I come from a very different background in our recovery, and we talk about some of these different ideas. And then we also talk about all the ways we overlap. It's a really good conversation. Now, a couple of uh, points, because it's not a traditional podcast layout, you know, there are a couple of the questions that you know and love, but there's no good egg or anything like that in this episode. And it's not your traditional me interviewing him. It very much is a conversation. Also. I realized about three-fourths of the way through that I never switched my microphone over from the <laughs> computer mic to this external one. Now, normally I record in Zencaster. Zencaster wasn't working for John for some reason, hence our recording on Zoom. Uh, but because of that and my idiocy <laughs> forgetting to switch my microphone, I sound like garbage for the first three-fourths of the interview. I apologize. The conversation is worth it, I promise. Last point. This Wednesday, January 27th, 8.30 Eastern Time on Facebook and on YouTube, Rock Bottom Storytellers. Make sure you've liked the Facebook page, subscribe to YouTube so you don't miss it. Log in then, catch Rock Bottom. All right, enjoy this special episode. I don't, I don't normally do any welcomes or intros for my, for my podcast. I just get straight into it. So I'll, I'll like record my own intro and then lead into that. If, if I, do the, I do the same thing. Um, are we, you, you've told me already, but I forget that the different etymology of your names, who am I referencing in this episode? <laughs> yeah, I'm John, I'm John Loxley. Um, I'm not, I, I was using the name Ren Coy as a pseudonym for my books for, for uh, writing my books for a few years. And then when I started the podcast, I just continued using that name. Um, but you know, it just, it all became quite confusing and. I wanted to just do everything under my my true name, John. So yeah, John Loxley. Been in recovery for uh, just over ten years since uh, 2010, and um, yeah, been been uh, recording the podcast since 2018. So just over a couple of years. <laughs> um, 
That's funny. I, 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 I appreciate you doing that intro. I'll, I'll cut this part out. Usually I have a very set way of doing it, but I was asking because of my own confusion and because honestly, your name is like, it's like something out of Robin Hood, right? John Loxley is a, <laughs> it, it sounds like you should be writing with Robin Hood is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it is Loxley is the surname of, uh, of Robin Hood. So <laughs> I've always been proud of the surname. I just cha I changed it for anonymity purposes because um, as you know, in the in the kind of world of recovery, especially the 12-step world, it's suggested that we remain anonymous at the level of press, radio and films. And that was something that I've observed until fairly recently. And the only reason that I've made the decision to, to not observe that anymore is because it was kind of sold to me by a few people that they, th they thought it would, I could be more, of more help to people if I just kind of um, be true to me. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Well, I love that. Uh, so I guess we're just diving right in here, which is which is great. I I love to say on, on my show, and I've said this with with a couple. I, I, this is not me originally, but there are two dates for people in recovery. There's the date that you enter recovery, and the date that you started talking about it. Uh, and and I think that that is something that we're seeing a lot more of from our generation and people who are as the cultural shift goes away from AA only into AA is one of many ways into recovery, you're seeing less of that anonymity piece and more people doing what you and I do, which is just being open about it like you would about a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that, um, you know, when, when you look back to the 1940s and you consider that the reason why those early recovering alcoholics wanted to maintain their anonymity was because you know, if their employers would have found out that they were drunks and that they got sober, they potentially might have got um, sacked from their employment. Or also, you know, as it kind of, as recovery progressed over the, you know, into this kind of 60s and 70s, it then became a case of, well, you know, if somebody famous like um, Anthony Hopkins is a perfect example. Apparently he went on the radio in the 1980s, I believe. And um, he, he, he kind of announced on the radio that he was in, in AA. And um, apparently when he went back to his, his home group that weekend, he got, <laughs> he got an ear bashing from his fellows and from his sponsor. And they said, you know, you, you can't, um, you know, you can't divulge your anonymity because if you were to relapse, then that would send the wrong message out to people. People would think that AA doesn't work. And actually now I think we've come to a place, um, you know, in 2021 where, you know, if Russell Brand, for example, was to relapse tomorrow, I don't think the rest of the world would think that Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't work. And I don't think the rest of the world would think that recovery is not for them as a result of him relapsing. You know, God forbid that he ever did. But he's the he's the perfect example of somebody who's obviously massively in the public eye and very open about his recovery. So from our perspective, like the layperson like you and I, who's got like kind of a, you know, a, a small reach, but, you know, a reach nonetheless. Um it feels a little bit like a duty now to, uh, you know, just be open and transparent and, um, and, and, and I suppose, you know, share a message of hope. Um, and interestingly, I, I wanted to just, just say something actually, which there was a, I, I posted something on Facebook um, a couple of days ago and it was, I was basically, I was, I was kind of joking, but I was being a bit derogatory towards a group of people. And um, it turned into this humongous kind of like, uh, you know, disagreement basically with a certain faction of people that were supporting my view and a certain faction of people that were 
really upset by my view. And a few people kind of pointed out to me that, you know, that I do have a responsibility um, because I've got a certain amount of followers on, I've got two Facebook pages and because I've got a certain amount of followers on those pages, I do have a certain responsibility to lead, live, live by example, you know, lead by example. Um, and that is true as far as I, you know, as far as I see in my life today, um, I try to live as, as, as kind of good and in inverted commas life as I, as I possibly can um, and lead by example. And if I'm not doing that, then it sends the wrong message. So, you know, that's kind of where I stand um, on my, you know, on being out there and, and spreading a message of hope, I suppose. First off, thank you for telling that story. Second, I think it's really important to say that a piece of that is living honestly, living truthfully and showing, you know, the warts and all. And so, um, you know, I think of, of something very similar, but to a much less degree, because uh, it didn't create a bunch of fervor, happened uh, on a the, the first episode of this season with a, a young woman named Rebecca Lieb and I were talking about conspiracy theories and someone wrote in and said, it sounded like you were being too much of an apologist for people who believe in really dangerous conspiracy theories. Like we see over here in the States right now with um, QAnon and stuff like that. And, and, and I addressed that on a later episode of this podcast actually dropped yesterday as we're recording this saying exactly how I feel and you can agree with me you can disagree with me but I never want my listeners to wonder how I feel about something I want it to be out there I want to be honest with them and if if that means you don't want to listen to the show anymore that's cool that is your prerogative and and you know as as I think a lot of us in the mental health space are starting to learn chasing the people who are not a good fit, whether you, whatever business you're in, uh, isn't ever going to be a successful plan for, for someone and finding your niche is much more important. Yeah, that is absolutely bang on, Jay. Um, couldn't agree more with that. I mean, you, you, you know, you can't please everybody um, and you've got to stay true to your opinions with the caveat that my opinions are always open to change. Like we could have a conversation right now and you could convince me of something. Well, exactly like I said before about the anonymity piece, I was convinced for two years that it wasn't the right thing to do, was to be open and honest about, you know, the fact that John Loxley's in recovery and I felt like I should maintain a level of anonymity. And now I've had my opinion changed by people that, um, you know, I trust and um, I thank them for their opinions. And um, yeah, and it changed my mind. So yeah, I completely agree with you. I'm interested now, you just piqued my interest about conspiracy theories. <laughs> so, so where do you stand on the old conspiracies? So I think what's really interesting, and this is what Rebecca and I talked about, is that um, there are certain things that, that whether we see them as a conspiracy and if they're actually true from the beginning or they become true over time, there is truth in them, you know, and the example that we both use because it's really famous over here is something called MK Ultra. Uh, if you're not familiar with this or, or listeners, if you're not familiar, there was a conspiracy theory in the States for a long time that our government was trying to brainwash people. And then it came out that it was true that there were experiments by our government to try using LSD and other psychedelics to literally brainwash people. And so that was one where the conspiracy predated this truth but then the, it, it seems like the government kind of went well if they think we're already doing it we might as well try doing this right um so so 
that piece is what we were talking about because her show is called ghost town and it's all about uh paranormal and true crime and stuff like that and and as someone who currently you know i believe in in uh extraterrestrial i think paranormal you know i have no reason not to believe in i've had experiences that i can't explain now what am i ever going to definitively say that's a ghost or something no i mean who knows that's the point is that it's okay to question but that there's a long leap there from that sort of thing to QAnon, which, you know, again, for the listeners, is this belief that President Trump is fighting a deep state of people made up of, depending on your beliefs, anywhere from child rapists all the way up to lizard people. Um, this is just there's literally nothing that shows that this is true ever. And uh, the fact that there is a not insignificant amount of people in this country who believe it so much so that people have fought and died and killed others in the name of this is incredibly scary. Uh, and so I think that, that, that the, the label conspiracy theory is almost too big that, you know, why is believing in some of these things with there is proof on, but it's not sort of accepted. The same thing as being lumped in with that where it's so dangerous and so scary. I think the two things tie in with what we're kind of primarily talking about as well, which is which is addiction, because if you look at what you know, what constitutes addiction, addiction is the underlying health, uh, underlying mental health conditions that people attempt to medicate with right. with behaviors and substances. Right. And that um, that those mental health issues are on a gradient simple as you know and in the literature of Alcoholics Anonymous it calls it, it refers to it as the spiritual malady and when you kind of break down what the spiritual malady is it's essentially emotional issues emotional and mental health issues that are um, caused by a great number of factors you know primarily environmental factors um, also genetics etc etc and so that when it, when you're looking at the conspiracies, the way I see it is that's on a gradient as well. The extreme end of the conspiracy theories, like your QAnon, is pretty much seems to me <laughs> objectively like mental health issues. Um, whereas uh, potentially believing in ghosts and extraterrestrials, well, there's a lot of there's a lot of evidence out there, and especially when you've had your own personal experiences of these things, that you can objectively say well yeah i can you know i don't know for certain but i'm pretty sure that there's something going on there and i'm the same as you mate i i when it comes to the paranormal i've had numerous experiences throughout my life and close friends of mine have had numerous experiences and i and i believe that they believe what they have seen and, and heard and stuff and um extraterrestrials i've had two experiences of seeing ufos in my life and again um you know i've done a lot of research into it i've listened to the, the the rogan podcasts on it and for me there is enough information out there to suggest that they're well i mean to think that we're the only life in the universe is just completely ridiculous anyway as far it's as i I it's selfish it. it's selfish <laughs> to think that we are somehow special in this yeah. vast universe um yeah and and i just again back to this conversation i had with rebecca we pointed out how it, again and, and this is only in the state so i can't comment on on over across the pond as you say but uh <laughs> they they did a survey and and 60 percent of people uh believe in life in the universe 50 percent believe it's intelligent 
So what that says to you is that 40% do not believe that there's life on any other anywhere other than Earth, which has already been proven to be true, just not in the way that they conceptualize life, right? I mean, these are microorganisms that, that NASA and other places have found, but those 40% of people in this country who were surveyed for this do not say that that is life. And again, to us, that was just an inability to think outside of this box that we have put ourselves in of what life is. Um, and again, it just, it's, it's selfish. It's, it, you know, but, but I love your point about uh, that, that on the, on the extreme end, it is a sort of a mental health issue. I mean, if you took some of those beliefs, right, that, that Donald Trump was fighting a war against lizard people, and you just took that out of the QAnon movement, and you took that into a therapist's office, they would say that's a delusion. That is a, a flat out delusion. And yet there are thousands, if not millions of people who believe that delusion. And that's, that's scary. Um, but it also needs to be treated as a mental health thing. We should, we should be tackling it the same way. Unless the, uh, the lizard people are aliens and then it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. Um, you said something else that, that was really important. And, and, and you know, I, um, going back to the, the, actually a quote by your, by your countryman, Johan Hari, who said the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's, it's connection. Uh, which I think is so important and it goes exactly to what you were just saying, you know, that's what a lot of these people are, are searching for and in this movement. It's this feeling of shared connection of, as I said on, on an earlier episode of this podcast, if you have a lot of people telling them that this sort of, um, you know, control that the, the white man has held in this, in the country, in this world for a long time is slipping away, but it's not slipping. It's being stolen from you. And you have a lot of people who believe this and think that they can have a say in that. And there are others that think that way too. It's really easy to understand how quickly that becomes a slippery slope into let's all get together and do something about it. Yeah, I mean, everybody wants to be part of a tribe, don't they? And, you know, when you, um, I mean, it'll be interesting to kind of get into your recovery, but like my recovery was, was you know, kind of um, the general story that you hear where somebody hits rock bottom, they go to a 12-step meeting, um, it changes their life, you know, they get a sponsor, they work the steps, they have a spiritual awakening and, you know, everything changes, you know, and, and slowly but surely over this 10 year period, everything in my life has changed. You know, I've gone from um, being uh, a very, very selfish, um, uh, you know, dependent alcoholic um, who used drugs regularly to somebody who doesn't do any of those things apart from psychedelics every now and then. Um, and, who tries his best to uh, go against those kind of uh, instinct, instinctual, selfish drives and try to be of service to people and to help people as much as I can. And that doesn't mean to say that I'm any kind of saint because I'm certainly not and I'm certainly still driven by material uh, wants and desires. But I, I have a goal and the goal is to become progressively um, less selfish, basically. Um, so, you know, to living living a kind of living life in that kind of way um it means that i you know i question everything like i question everything that's going on around me um and i also have to consider that you know that that i need i need other people like i need other people around me to 
um, helped me question my own thinking. And when I when I joined Twelve Step Fellowships, it felt like I'd kind of come home. You know, it felt like I was around people that understood me. So I completely get why everybody out there is looking for that feeling because they feel isolated especially now i mean jesus christ like this this i mean this covid19 pandemic has got to go down in history as the great leveler of society hasn't it because you know what what i'm observing and you know again i might be in my own echo chamber here i don't know but what i'm like what i'm hearing from the people around me is those that have kind of got some sort of a program or you know a spiritual basis for a life not even necessarily a spiritual basis but they've got like routine structure you know they they kind of they've they've got morals and values and and they're kind of like not always thinking about themselves they seem to be doing okay whereas the people who have just carried on as they were they seem to be struggling and i think that's where the mental health issues are exacerbated and these kind of conspiracy theories are exacerbated even more because they just want something to grab hold of you know life shit basically so therefore let's grab hold of this crazy conspiracy theory and run with it and go out and shoot a few people <laughs> it, it is it, definitely our our sort of it, it, the great level i love that i love that word and what and what i think is it's really doing is for those who are people are grabbing onto whatever they can and for some people those are really healthy things routine you know yes uh, groups that that can be of support um you know partnerships i, I was i was talking to, to someone not long ago uh, who is a uh, relationship therapist and they were saying that uh what they've seen is that no relationship is just doing fine there are relationships that are flourishing because that's all they've got right now is their partner and their relationships that are absolutely crumbling because people are really struggling to go oh my god like this is my only like person right now is this what i want and there's a lot of sort of uh spiraling i think is the word that they were using of people really going down in a, a bad path leveling is a great word for it because you're you're finding in, in we're finding in our lives the things that actually matter to us you know what is coming up uh when all of this dust settles it's kind of what remains for us and and you know for me i work with a lot of people who have reached out to say i've been treading water for a year now i honestly don't know what to do you know a, a lot of speakers that was my job before this pandemic that's really what i was focused on who who have really floundered because they don't know what to do now that the speaking industry is is just gone and and you know i'm really lucky i started this podcast right before the covid really hit because i saw the writing on the wall and was like i'm gonna have to have something to do but i also feel for those people if if they've been doing this for 20 years and all of a sudden everything they've known is just gone and and you're right that's where when they're searching for something the first thing that looks like a, a life vest that comes along they're going to grab to and, and hold on tight and that can be a really dangerous thing yeah i think when you've hit rock bottom once in your life you can you can kind of cope you know like you realize that i mean you know this situation that i'm in is nothing like how, how i felt when, at the end of my drinking you know like I actually did want to kill myself and um, the only options were that were suicide or do something about it, you know, and I did something about it and thank God I did because I, I can completely relate to 
people who are now in a situation where they're, they're at rock bottom because they don't have the, the, the necessary tools and, you know, a, some sort of a program in place in order to get through this stuff. You know, it's, it is, it's really hard. I'm not saying, I, I'm not saying I find life super easy because I don't, I have ups and downs myself. You know, some days I have, like I said to my friend yesterday, I said, I probably have one day per month where I feel just shit for absolutely no reason. Um, and then I might have two or three days in that month where I just feel a little bit, eh, you know, but generally I'm like peace of mind, feeling good. I can crack on with my work and, you know, do exercise. And, you know, the main thing for me over this pandemic, the one area that I'm looking to now focus on is my eating because I've been eating terribly, you know, um, well, I say terribly. I've just got a chocolate addiction. <laughs> Other than that, I eat quite well, actually. But I, I, I just, you know, the chocolate has been my go-to for, for boredom, really. You know, like any time I've... And you said about, you know, the thing, finding the things that are meaningful to you. I mean, over this past year, I mean, I used to DJ for years and, like, I, I kind of I had to leave the DJing and the music behind because it was too entwined with that lifestyle of drugs and drinking and partying and stuff and i just i just couldn't really do it anymore but over over the last five years i've not done any music at all like none like none whatsoever and um i've just got back into it i've started listening to loads of my old music and you know i've really kind of like reignited the love for it again and i've started producing some music with a friend of mine who's in recovery and i'm really enjoying it and it's something that i've recognized is a is an integral part of my life that i need you know like i need the certain things i need in my life like the podcast is one of them i stopped doing the podcast for a while and realized that i really missed that so there's the podcast there's the music you know, those are my hobbies. And then my, the most important things to me are my family, um, you know, my, my, my kids and my partner and spending time with them and walking the dog and, you know, and doing my meetings and uh, and all that good stuff that keeps me sober. So, you know, I have, I have my pro- my priorities and my, my ducks are in a row. Let's, let's just put it that way. And as a result of that, I have, I have a, a good, my mental health's very, very strong at the moment um so yeah that's good yeah and, and and i just wanted to ask you i suppose a perfect segue into that is how's your mental health currently and you know what kind of led you into into recovery well currently it's been it's been all right i um actually i i use an app to track my mental health every day one to five and this is something that i recommend to all of the clients that i work with on a coaching basis because People like me struggle with depression. You get into those ruts. And next thing you know, you know, that little voice in your head is telling you, this is how life always is. You feel terrible all the time. And it's easy to, to buy into that. And, and now I have the literal data to show, no, that's not true. Most of the time I'm between a three and a four, which is things are fine to things are pretty good. Um, occasionally and down to a two, occasionally up to a five. I know when I'm down at a one. Okay, I got to call my therapist, got to, you know, do the little things because this is this is that rut. So um, it's it's definitely a helpful thing to have uh, is that app. And, and also I have mindfulness practices that I do every day that really help me stay between a three and a four. Uh, now, obviously, you have a bad day. The perfect example is, is you know, working on this podcast, as, as you know, when sound quality stuff comes in, your microphone's not working, man, that is a recipe for a shit day <laughs> because messing around with technology when you're like, I have to get this podcast out. Why is this not working? All of a sudden is just the worst. But, you know, aside from things like that, it's been pretty good. And, and 
I, I really appreciate your point sort of about taking pleasure in the little things in life, spending time with your kids, with your partner, taking the dog for a walk. Um, as we're recording this, my, my wife is on a staycation. She took a couple of days to go uh, to a beachside uh, hotel where she's doing nothing other than walking on the beach and doing work, but in a, in a hotel room. And it's just me and the dog. And we've had a very nice time, just the two of us. Uh, and, and those little moments are, are fun because it's like, it's a little different. It's outside of the, the routine. And, uh, you know, the, the dog is also very attached to my wife. And so it's sort of been a recalibration of, oh, I have to, re I have to rely on you now. Oh, man. Uh, which is, which has been good, I think, for both of us. Uh, so it's, it, that's been, that's been wonderful. Uh, that has nothing to do with my story into recovery. Mine is almost the opposite of yours. Uh, it, it is, you know, my, my issue is never alcohol. And as you and I talked about when we first were chatting, I still have a drink. I, I can drink safely. Um, and, and my issue was always prescription pills. And so after years of struggling with that, um, and, and hitting what for a lot of people would have been rock bottom when I attempted suicide twice in two days and, and overdosed, um, I kept going, <laughs> I kept going down. I, I ended up uh, in a lockdown facility for three weeks, uh, in a long-term care facility, what we would have called a mental institution years ago. Uh, for three months. And there was where um, a lot of these things sort of slowly exposed themselves that uh, I'd been given a label for my mental health that was not, uh, was not, didn't fit and was being treated for this thing that I didn't have and, and decided to get off all the medication. And finally hit my personal rock bottom on my way out of this facility. But um, you know, it, it really helped me understand that this path is very different for everybody. And, and uh, I did try twice to go to uh, two AA groups, one AA, one NA, and uh, it didn't really work for me. And, and so that is where my um, struggles against, you know, my way is the only way, quote unquote, comes from, because what you're telling me is, well, what about me? You know what I mean? Like I am living proof that that's not true. And so I love, you know, I, I work with, a, I'm, I'm in groups and in, 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 uh, communities with people who are the full spectrum of the recovery community, right? AA is the only way all the way to harm reduction. AA is trash and all that. And I fall solidly in the middle because I honestly think whatever works for you is, is, is the right thing. And the only thing that I struggle with is that word only, you know, if you're preaching only, then, then you're not doing this for the right reasons. You're doing this for your personal brand, whatever the case is. If you're actually trying to get people to, to be better, to, to, to not lose so many people every year, you're going to be open to trying whatever's going to work for that person. And we're seeing a lot more of that. I think by the time, you know, I don't know if it's this decade, but maybe next we'll get to a point where this idea of camps in this community is, is a, is a past idea. And we're going to be at a point where people are going to have options and say, okay, that didn't work. Let me try this. Okay. That didn't work. Let me try this other thing. Yeah. I mean, I love, I love the fact that what you've just shared. Um, I, I love the fact that you can have a drink. I mean, that's awesome. You know, <laughs> that is awesome. I mean, it, it, for me, it totally, everything that you've just said there perfectly marries up with the point I made earlier about this spiritual malady, you know, this underlying emotional issues, because you're somewhere on that gradient, you know, and, you know, you might not be the extreme end, like the extreme end is the person 
who might need to be completely abstinent from all substances who you know who might have ended up um i don't know you know like living homeless for the last 30 years and there's absolutely no way on this earth that that person can put any mind or mood, mood altering substances in their body because it will lead them to relapse and if you're one of those people absolutely fantastic there's a pathway for you if you're a person like yourself who's in the who's in the middle and i love the, the words that you used whatever works i've i've used that exact phrase countless times on my podcast you know and it's just so true i mean i was i was of the um what what do you call uh, I was a fundamental fundamentalist AA, um, I suppose in the early days, and and uh, I would have I would have said to anybody that I came across, no, 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 total abstinence, you know, and it, this is the only thing that works. There's nothing else that works, and then I started working in a prison as a as a drug and alcohol counsellor, and I came across so many different types of people and the, it just was, became very very apparent that there isn't a one-size-fits-all you know it, you've got to find what works for your personality and what works for your physiology um you know and for me personally I just found my tribe when I went to 12-step fellowships and the, the irony of that though is that I've been to other 12-step fellowships so I'm in one and I've been to many other different ones and I didn't like them I didn't I didn't I didn't um, relate to the people in the rooms um I didn't feel like they um you know that they were my kind of people in inverted commas you know and that's all my own stuff anyway but the fact of the matter was that there was one that worked for me and I kept going to that one and I keep going to that one and I'm still open-minded about other types of groups and I mean I've had loads of therapy I've, I've had a, I've had counsellors over the years I've had a life coach um you know all sorts of stuff I've as I, as I mentioned before psychedelics I've had a, an experience with ayahuasca an experience with psilocybin they were absolutely amazing I'm still open-minded to doing more of that if the opportunity presents itself um so yeah it's you just got to find what works for you. And, you know, you, it's interesting because I've got into this podcasting, I've obviously now come into contact with people like yourself. And, and initially when you first start doing it, you kind of think you're the only one. <laughs> and then you kind of come across more and more people that are doing exactly the same thing that you have. Some of which have got way more experience than, than I have um, at podcasting and they've got a much further reach. Um, and that was very humbling as well. And it was really nice to be able to connect with people and just have these conversations. It's, I think it's fantastic. Well, it's, uh, you know, it's like, I swear, not all of my my quotes are from English people, but it's like George Harrison said: "The farther one travels, the less one knows." Right? And, and the, by the way, George Harrison, I, I'm I'm sitting here in sandals. My I have a Beatles tattoo on my feet. Really big, really big George Harrison fan. But um, it, there is a lot of truth to to your to what you were saying about getting out of your circle. And it kind of goes all the way back to our original topic of conspiracy theories. It's really easy to get sucked into that when all you're hearing is these these views that are exactly the same as yours. Um, you know, here we have the, that, that issue with Fox News where it's like, they will blatantly lie because they know their people want to hear that, you know, and not saying that the other side doesn't do that at times as well. They're just not built on that the same way Fox News is. And, yeah. and it's, it, this happens, it isn't, you know, this is not special to the recovery community, right? This idea that you get stuck in, in whatever works for you is going to work for everybody. And, and 
I am almost in a way lucky that I did try to go to AA twice and, and, and neither time was it a good experience, you know, to your point. One time it just wasn't the right group. I was way out in the West living uh, in Arizona and, and it was a bunch of old grizzled, you know, people struggling with alcohol misuse. And, and then here I was, this kid, this hippie kid, fresh into recovery from, from prescription pills. And they were like, kid, what the fuck are you doing here? You know? <laughs> um, and the second time was in New York City when I was living in there. It was in the basement of a church. And I'm sitting there. And, and by the way, I'm Jewish. And I'm sitting in the basement of this church. 20 minutes in, no one has shown up. And I'm just sitting there. Um, and finally, a janitor sticks his head in and goes, are you here for the NA meeting? I said, yeah. He goes, man, nobody comes to this shit and walks out. And I was like, every time I try to go to one of these meetings, it doesn't work out, you know? <laughs> so the one good meeting I've actually been to was when a buddy of mine got arrested for, weirdly enough, for shrooms. And they sent him to AA, weirdly enough. And uh, he had to bring a friend to prove that he had gone. And of course, I was like, yeah, I'll go with you. At the time, I was still struggling with my own misuse. And I wanted to see what it was like in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I actually got to see what this experience was like. Um, and so I, I've seen what a meeting can do. It just didn't work for me. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's a wonderful, wonderful fellowship. Um, and you know, when you get when you get a meeting that's, I mean, I I obviously gravitate towards the meetings that are very open minded. I.e., they're not the meetings where everybody just shares about alcohol, you know, about drinking, like the war stories. Um, they tend to be the stories that share about the solution, you know, and and the solution being for somebody in AA, um, you know, a higher power of your own understanding. But the caveat on that that I always place when I talk to anybody is that there's people in recovery that have no spiritual life whatsoever and they and they um, their higher power is just the group because really what it boils down to is the connection, like you said before about the Johan Hari quote. Because how could it be that you're recovering and you don't go to 12-step meetings if if you didn't if, if other options didn't work it wouldn't it's not possible is it so you've got to you've got to sit down and have a, and have a word with yourself and think to yourself okay if, if AA and NA and the other 12-step fellowships aren't the only thing that works then what is it that is working and for me it is that connection it's that human connection I mean there's absolutely a spiritual element to it and I'm and I'd like to talk to you about your kind of um, you know your beliefs and stuff because that's obviously a very interesting topic and for me that is a massive that is the component that, that makes the difference but ultimately I get all that through my connection with other people so even if I wasn't spiritually minded I would still be having the same result and I think just another thing as well is when all you're doing is going to a certain group, it's confirmation bias. You know, it's like positive brainwashing, which is fantastic. But at the same time, that positive brainwashing can start to turn a little bit negative if if all you're ever searching for is people to confirm what you think is true. Um, and, and again, I was like that myself, you know, for a great many years. And then as I became more open-minded to the idea that, um, you know, there was, there was many different paths to recovery, I found that um, lo and behold, people, more people wanted to talk to me. <laughs> and lo and behold, I became better at uh, building relationships with people um, outside of the fellowship. Because otherwise, if you're closed-minded, people don't want to talk to you. So how, how, do we, how do we address that for people like you early on who was like, nope, this is the only way. And, and someone like me comes along 
who didn't use your method, right? Or, you know what, even even better, you hear these horror stories from AA about the guys who go in and they're they're taking Suboxone or or um, Naltrexone or something. And they're, you know, their sponsor tells them, oh, you're not sober if you're on that, get on it, or get off it. And then they relapse and horrible things happen because, you know, that one of the tenants, not the tenants, but one of the, the ideas of AA is that, you know, relapse, well, you're starting over when, you know, that's not always the case with everybody. How do we address that issue in those rooms? I mean, what would a younger you listen to in, in that moment? That's a very, very good question. Um, I think that the message from within the fellowships kind of just needs to be um, the spiritual side of it and the actual program itself you can kind of figure that out as you go along, you know, like it isn't, it isn't designed to be prescriptive. It's designed so that the, by taking the steps with somebody that's already been through the steps, you can have this change, this, you know, this change of your personality and this change of the way that you manage your emotions and the, this change in the way that you become able to deal with your mental health issues. Um, but what that requires in order for you to have that, experience and it not be not become dogmatic is to be working with somebody who's who's open-minded and to be working with somebody who's not basically not telling you what to do they're just facilitating the experience and i suppose you and i understand that because we're counselors slash coaches so we understand that we're not telling a person what to do and how to live their life we're just facilitating that change um but but obviously people in in 12-step fellowships don't necessarily have that ability now I was very very lucky that my first sponsor was somebody who was an atheist and he um all he did was read the book with me and answer my questions he didn't try and prescribe anything to me whatsoever and it my experience just happened on its own and then my next sponsor was also very open-minded and not prescriptive and my current sponsor was a was a counselor so perfect for me you know um and that's how I try to be with my sponsees is I, is I try to be I try to never tell them what to do or I just give them my experience and I try and be as open-minded as possible and I think that that is the only way because I've heard I've heard like you I've heard many horror stories of people that like yourself have gone into meetings um and they've got the wrong idea and it's really unfortunate because they never come back, uh, you know, in some cases. But what I'm very interested in is the fact that somebody like you can go to a meeting, never go back to those meetings. And yet, whatever it is that you've done in that period of time, you're obviously on that path of recovery, you know. And um, I, I, I think that I want to know, learn more about that so that I can say to people, well, this isn't the only way. And if this doesn't work for you, you can go and do this. So what, so what have you done in that time? Yeah. Well, I'd say that there's two, two big buckets, right. In, in, in what I do and it's sort of external and internal, you know, uh, the one part of AA that I personally love is the being of service. I, I think that that is, in, in my mind, that may be the most important piece because 
we know from psychological studies that you feel more connected when you help people. It's, it's just the way our brains are wired, just the way our brains work. When you are of service, you feel good about yourself and it becomes a repeated thing, right? There's, there's this, um, uh, mantra or, or, or idea in sort of self-help is tell yourself repeatedly that you are the person that you want to be. And it becomes one of those kind of talking it into existence sort of things, right? And, and if you want to be a person who is very philanthropic, well, tell yourself you're a person that's very philanthropic. And next thing you know, it will be sort of your, your go-to, right? You see somebody out on the street, oh, let me go buy you a sandwich or whatever the case is. Let me, let me talk to this person instead of walking right by because you're changing the way that you yourself think about yourself in the world. So that's sort of the inside out perspective is, is being of use to other people. And for me, that meant uh, five years into recovery saying yes about telling my story for the first time. And since then, now for almost six years, being this guy who is very open about it, willing to you know, hold people's hands and walk with them if they're struggling. You know, that's a lot of my clients is people who just, you know, they're, they're perfect examples. One I'm working with right now, whose mother is just berating him all the time for his past use, not even current, you know, he's doing pretty well and he just doesn't know where to turn. And so he and I talk a lot about, about how to change his own perspective of who he is and eventually kind of letting his mom come around because he's not going to change her mind, unfortunately, very clearly with this moment. So that's sort of the external and then the internal is doing that work, you know, myself. And that was a, a lot of work with therapists uh, because of my story, you know, having this label foster on me and having, having my struggles with substance misuse uh, led by a therapist. It took me a while to trust another therapist, but I eventually got there and have worked with a couple really exceptional therapists and, and some not great ones either. I mean, that's, that's sort of every industry, right? You're going to find some good and some bad. Um, and also doing a lot of mindfulness work myself. Like I said, not, not only the, the rating my day at the end of the day, but I have other mindfulness practices that, that I have you know, baked into my schedule every day. Um, and, and sort of trying to be a very, uh, we're all trying to be actualized, trying to be the most ourselves we can be. And sometimes that can be really hard for yourself and for the people around you, if you're like, look, I, I know this probably isn't that big of a deal to you, but I need you to understand how this made me feel, whatever the case is. My wife knows that we have a lot of those conversations both both ways. I encourage her to do the same. And and if you can get to that point where you're you're especially with a partner, being that open and that, you know, uh connected in a way where you can say to them, hey, you know, that little thing you did kind of upset me or whatever the case is. Um, it's a lot easier to feel more established in, in the world around you that you know that you can be living the life that you want, even if it's not big picture, the life you want, but small picture, I can be the person I want to be on a day-to-day -day basis because nothing creates more strife than being forced into a situation where even a piece of you is not authentic. It's not, uh, you're, 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 you're hitting up against this idea of what the world wants you to be and who you actually are. Um, and that goes down to what choose your struggle means is, is you know, choosing what you're gonna struggle for every day and being that, that person that you wanna be uh, because the closer you can get to kind of one-to-one -one of, of who you are and who you're trying to be, uh, the less you're going to be um, you know, struggling up against that, that external wall of, well, I have to put on this face today or whatever the case is. So uh, that's, that's been the biggest piece for me is just being authentic and, and being the person that I want to be every day. Yeah, that's 
absolutely where I've I've come to um, kind of fairly recently, I suppose, is is just about um, working on and maintaining that authenticity and being vulnerable. Um, I think it's I think it's more difficult to be completely open and honest with the people that are close to you than it is with the people in your your, your meetings, you know, your groups, your therapist, because they've got the ability to hurt you, you know, and especially if you share something which, you know, I've been, my partner's been guilty of doing this and I've been guilty of doing it to her. She might share something that's kind of, you know, a, a real vulnerability. And then three months down the line, I'm using that vulnerability against her, you know, in an argument, which is terrible, absolutely terrible. And, you know, when that got brought up, you know, it makes you see, it makes you see like how important it is to be able to be there for a person, you know, like, it, you want the, you want that reciprocated i i don't want to i want to feel like i can be open and honest with my partner and she's not going to ridicule me she's not going to judge me she's not going to throw it back in my face you know and there's always still isn't there like that little part of you that goes no 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 don't share that <laughs> you know keep keep that one back for yourself but it's just progress mate it's just like um it's you know whereas 10 years ago, I trusted absolutely no one. My, that was my mantra, trust no one, you know, and gradually over time, it was kind of like, well, I'll trust people if they earn my trust, you know, and now I just kind of try my best to trust people until they break my trust. That's the difference. And I think that, you know, you talked about self-actualization and, um, you know, one of my friends in recovery always used to say, do you think we'll become enlightened? You know, like if we, if we keep practicing this stuff. And I said, you know, I used to say to him, enlightenment isn't a goal of mine, not in this lifetime anyway. Like what I understand about enlightenment, I said, it's just not a goal. I said, but self-actualization is a goal, you know, to transcend the material world in the sense of like needing it for your happiness and to be open and honest and authentic and vulnerable and, um, you know, and, and have that peace of mind as a result of it all at all times, I think that's achievable. I really do. And I think there's people, there's people that I know that have kind of achieved that. Um, so I want to, I want to applaud you on the, on the trust piece that you've been able to come as far as you have, because that is, you're not alone in that with people who struggle with substance misuse. That is a very common thing for us. And, and there was a study that was done a couple of years ago now um, about, uh, how long the average person can think of quote unquote into the future. And again, the average person, it was like four to seven years. Right. But if someone's struggling with substance misuse, that, that number was two weeks. And it was because we were so, we're so focused on, all right, I got to get my next hit drink, whatever the case is that thinking much beyond that just isn't a thing that we're able to do. And what is trust other than being able to think longer term besides just this moment. Right. And, and so that is a very common theme of, of recovery is being able to find that trust again. So if you are able to do that, applause to you, man, you're, you're, you've come a lot farther towards that actualization than I think uh, a lot of people do, unfortunately. Well, I think that, you know, to, to give a perfect example of that is that, you know, you're married obviously, and I'm engaged and I was supposed to get married on the 4th of July, but it was canceled due to COVID. And I've been married before. Now, the first time I got married, um, I was 29 and um, I got married to a woman who I was with 
really because I, f- I felt like it was my duty to make up make up to her all for, for all the shit that I put her through. And unfortunately, it was completely the wrong reasons to get married. And I um, and the marriage uh, ended a couple of years later. And um, then I was in this, you know, in this period of just feeling shameful and, and sorry for everything that I put her through and the fact that I married her and blah, blah, blah. Whereas now I'm engaged to a woman who I want to spend the rest of my life with her. Sorry, what I meant to say as well about, about, about my first wife was, I suppose in the back of my mind, there was always like, well, if it doesn't work, I'll just, we'll just get divorced. You know, there was like always like this kind of get out clause. Whereas I would never put Adele through that. You know, like if I, if I thought to myself, actually, this is not going to be for life, you know, and, and the chances are it probably won't work out. I just wouldn't do it. I wouldn't go ahead with it. And I'm thinking long term, like we, we, we've got like a 10 year plan of where we want, what we want to do with our lives, what we want to do with our children, et cetera. And that's massively like responsible and trusting. And it makes me feel like it gives me a higher level of self-esteem because I feel like a grown up. <laughs> Whereas previously, I just felt like I was just some kid meandering through life, going from one kind of exciting thing or disaster to the next. Um, so yeah, you know, it's, but it's, it's take, it's taken a lot of work and, um, the spiritual piece for me, like you, you've mentioned, um, you know, mindfulness and like meditate, like I meditate religiously twice a day for a minimum of 15 minutes. And, um, that has been huge in my recovery. Like since I started meditating and I pray as well to a higher power that I don't really understand, but that's something that I do. Um, I take inventory. So like when you're doing your kind of your, your app, I, I do a written inventory that I send to my uh, sponsor and I speak to people regularly, you know, I pick up the phone and that is my, my spiritual program is that with the, with always the um, goal of helping people, like you said, I mean, love, love and service is what recovery is about. Two simple words. That's exactly what Dr. Bob, who was the co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, he said, you can boil recovery down to two simple words love and service and if you've got those in the forefront of your mind you're going to do okay so that's what i always try to remember um and i suppose you know similarly to you like i just have this program i just go through these daily it's, it's routine and discipline you know like I, I have my daily routine i'm disciplined with it and um you know as time's gone by they say in recovery, the road gets narrower, don't they? You know, like you've got less leeway to do the shit things that you used to do because they make you feel worse. Um, so as time goes by, I suppose my daily routine gets more and more, um, you know, focused on the things that are good for me, mind, body and spirit, really. I mean, what's your kind of take on the spiritual? Because obviously you've got a super, you know, you're into the supernatural. So what's your take on the uh the spiritual angle of, of recovery. I, uh, you know, honestly, the spiritual piece has never been at the forefront for me. I've, I've, you know, I guess the, the, the right way to say it would be that it's always been a thing that's been there, but it's never been a thing that is, is, um, a focus, I guess, would be the right way to say it. And I and I'm comfortable saying I don't know. I I I would describe myself as as probably agnostic. Um, I I don't think there's anything out there, but I'm also not 
you know, I, I'm not, uh, uh, I don't know. And so that's why I'm like, I, I don't think I could ever say I'm an atheist. I used to, I don't know. That's the answer. I, I yeah. have no idea. And that's, I think that's the most humble answer you can give, to be honest. I think that anybody that claims to know <laughs> probably doesn't. <laughs> but I've, um, I mean, I just spent a lot of the, well, last year, I basically started writing a book at the beginning of the first lockdown. And through working with my life coach, I was able to really focus on it and I got it finished. So I probably wrote it and finished it within about, I think it was about seven or eight months. And it's actually been picked up by a publisher. So it's going to be published um, next, uh, this year, um, probably around summer, maybe a little bit later. And the title is All is One, The Science and Spirituality of Consciousness. And what I've delved into, like in a, in a, in a very kind of analytical way, is the science of spirituality but also the religion and philosophy and and what 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 each has to say um and it was really interesting you know like the amount of research that went into it like it was it was fantastic for me to help my understanding and then as as i came to towards the end of the book i was just kind of thinking well I just don't know. <laughs> I just don't know. All I know, all I know is that, you know, doing certain things um, just works for me. You know, it, it helps me to live um, a life free from mental obsession and uh, emotional turmoil. Um, but how that's happening and, you know, if there is a, a higher power or a God, I've got absolutely no idea. Well, you and I could talk for hours, uh, clearly. Um, but I always finish with two questions, uh, that I ask everybody. So I'm going to do those for you now. Number one, yeah. uh, not just during COVID, um, but what, you know, we all go through stress a lot in our life. You already said that you meditate. What are some of your other self-care habits that work for you? Exercise, um, is the, uh, well, three things um for, for my self-care one is exercise so i go for a run and i do a little bit of kind of home gym work um, at least two or three times a week um walking my dog i walk my dog twice a day um, nice. for, for about half an hour and that and i don't have my headphones in or anything like that i just walk the dog and i, I really that really helps me um and just eating well you know like when i'm when i'm not um concentrating on the chocolate i do try to <laughs> concentrate on eating fruit you know like one of the uh, tenets of uh, Taoism is uh, only eat foods that sustain life themselves so that's what I try to stick to yeah awesome um so you know it's funny I I, I was at a presentation a couple of years ago and um this guy was thinking it was it was all about forward thinking and, and one of the things he was showing was if you go back there's always every generation there's something that we are doing um that that future generations are going to go i can't believe they fucking did that you know we think about like our grandparents generation the fact that everybody smoked everybody and it just it was thought to be a if you smoke you'll lose weight and all this kind of stuff and now we're like are you fucking kidding me that's terrible and so of course i raised my hand and said okay what are we doing now that we're gonna be like oh my god about he said easy answer sugar he said it's sure. in everything. He said it is literally poison at the levels we are eating it and we continue to eat it and drink it and all the stuff like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I've been, I, I'm pretty convinced that it's the leading cause of cancer. 
from from the research I've done into it. And you know the thing, the terrible thing about it is Jay that like I am addicted to it. Like I have, if I come off it, I go yeah. through withdrawals, I go through the sweats, I get like the mental torture. So yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, my wife and I did it uh, for a year. We only ate sugar, added sugar one day a week. Um, and now we don't do that anymore. And I find that it's multiple days a week because once you have one, well, what are you going to do the, either the next day or the day after? And so it's one of those things that I try to mindfully, okay, today I have sugar, added sugar yesterday. I should probably take today off, maybe even tomorrow um, because yeah. yeah, it is very bad for you at the levels we eat it. Um, all right, final question. Uh <laughs> is we've spent the last now hour hearing about all the amazing stuff you're doing, why all of my listeners should go follow you. But who are people that influence you? Who are people you're following, listening to, watching, reading, whatever the case is uh, that we should all go check out? Um, I think that, I mean, I, I've, I've kind of come off the podcasts. I used to be heavily into the podcasts, but I used to listen to um, Joe Rogan, obviously, like the biggest podcast in the world. Um, I used to listen to a lot of Russell Brand's podcasts, Duncan Trussell. Um, who else? Uh, Chris Ryan is a good podcast that I used to listen to. But I've kind of come off those now and I've been doing more reading. Um, and and over the years, um, oh God, Anthony DeMello is somebody that definitely should definitely check out. Uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer comes to mind. Deepak Chopra is another one. Um, and I don't know, like on a day-to-day -day level, I don't really, I kind of, I don't really follow that many people, if I'm honest with you. I, I just, um, I just kind of concentrate on my own thing. I suppose you know, you reach a place in your life, don't you, where you've learned a lot of stuff and then you just want to kind of pass that on to other people and, and try and be a bit of a leader yourself. Um, so yeah, um, and, I, and I, up until recently, I was working with a life coach, um, big up to Dennis. He was, a, he was a great influence, Dennis Berry. So you can check him out at dennisberry.com for life coaching. I, I, I have been on his podcast. I love oh, Dennis, cool. yeah. Yeah, man, he's an absolute legend. So, um, you know, he's a person who's had a positive influence on me recently. And then the only other person I suppose to mention is my sponsor, Alex. He's, uh, he's a great influence. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm a partner, Adele, because Adele is very, very level-headed and um, she's uh, the voice of reason when my head gets a bit crazy. <laughs> Well, normally I do this multiple times throughout an episode, but we had such a good conversation. I didn't want to interrupt us. So please shout out where people can follow you, where they can find you online. If they're digging what you're putting down and they're like, oh my God, I want to talk to them. All the good stuff. Yeah. If you go to www.lifeinrecovery.co.uk, you can find everything that you need to find about me on there. Uh, and for your listeners, when you put this out, whatever form it is, if you're interested in chatting with me or, you know, whatever the case is, I coach, I speak, I, I've consulted with business, all the good stuff. You can find me at jshifman.com, J-A-Y-S-H-I-F-M-A-N.com. Perfect, mate. That was brilliant. Thank you very much for your time. I've really enjoyed uh, having a chat with you. Whoops. I meant to stop recording and I hit the wrong button. Um, 